I've had many of those. One person spoiled it all. After Elijah's victory on Mount Carmel, one person wasn't impressed. She should have been. You know, God only knows why she didn't get with the program. But she looked at Elijah and said, you know what? You may have won today, but tomorrow I'm going to kill you. And I mean kill you. And all Elijah could think about was this one itty-bitty person. He totally lost sight of the huge God that just rained down the fire, the huge God that just brought all the rain, and at this moment, one negative, one person is dominating and occupying his thoughts, and he runs and runs and runs and runs and runs. Because Jezebel, with all Elijah could think about, he stayed up all night stewing, thinking about her. God had just rained down from, uh, fire from heaven, but one threat from Jezebel, and all of a sudden, Elijah can think of nothing but that threat. He became frozen in fear. And my definition of fear is this. It's when we lose our confidence in God. You know, when we have confidence in God, what do we often say? God's got this, Right? Oh, I know, everything's hitting the fan right now. And oh, I know, you know, I'm just so screwed up and I probably could use 20 years of therapy. And that's true in my case. But the fact of the matter is, God's got this. God's got this. Going into three or four months ago, you know, I finally got a firm diagnosis. I have cirrhosis of the liver. It's non-alcoholic cirrhosis. I don't, I'm not an alcoholic, I don't drink. But I have cirrhosis. Every now and then it happens to somebody who doesn't drink. And I'm going, oh, you know, Okay, you know, I'll, I'll make the adjustments. My doctor's like, no, no, you don't understand. People die from this. There's a man at 45 years old that just died. I'm 42. There's a man 45 years old that just died from this. I looked at my doctor, you know what I said? God's got this. God's got this. I'm not going to die at 45. I can tell you that right now. You know, I'll fight it, kicking, screaming, and hollering because God's got this. But the definition of fear is when you start to go, you know what? I don't know if God's got this. I don't know if there's a God. Maybe there isn't a God. I've never seen God. I mean, why are they asking me to believe in a Jesus I've never met, a heaven I've never been to, and a future I can't tell? Or you begin to say, you know what? No, no, no. There is a God, but maybe God doesn't work that way. You know, I mean, God's like for heaven, but on earth, we're all alone. It's all up to us, man. We got to make it happen. We begin to lose our... Con- when you get to that point, we got to make it happen. You know what begins to happen? Fear. Because let's face it, the world is too big for any of us to conquer. It is. Some of the most powerful men in history tried to conquer it, and they failed and often lost their life trying. And so we begin... Elijah, all of a sudden, is beginning to have this horrible feeling that, wait a second, God just rained down heaven, but maybe God doesn't have this. Maybe God doesn't have this. Maybe God doesn't have my back. And he has a conversation with God that is very telling. Here, here's, here's a, I don't have a lot of examples for this sermon, but this one kind of came to me. Growing, uh, when I lived in Washington State, there was a friend of mine who was a really good painter and contractor, really good. 
And he began to grow. His work was so good that he, he was growing and growing. His business was growing, and he was hiring employees. And, I mean, it was just, he was about to open an office. And I'm like, man, this guy is going to become legit. But one time, an apartment complex was doing some remodeling, and he submitted a bid, and another contractor submitted a bid. This is how this works. Well, he won the bid. But the other contractor was so upset, he began to slander and malign and attack my friend. All of a sudden, he was telling him, man, you don't want this kind of guy in your apartment complex. You don't want this kind of guy working on your house with your kids at home. This guy's nuts. He's crazy. He's untrustworthy. He begins to slander him, and he begins to do a character assassination against my friend. Now, if it were me, I'd have called him up and said, you better stop talking about me like that because I will pray for the Lord to close your business. No, no, you shouldn't do that, you know. That's, <laughs> you, let's face it, you know, that's not the right thing to say. But, but there's something in me that's like, look, you ain't taking me out, you know. Flee, shoot. I, I mean, it wouldn't have bothered. I just said, man, you think you're going to take me down? That's it. I'm lowering all my bids. I'm going to put you out of business in a year. There's got to be something in us. He didn't have that. The one thing about my friend is he wanted to be everybody's friend. Have no enemies. Nobody dislike him. Nobody talking bad about him. Don't ruffle any color, uh, ruffle any feathers. uh, You know, and, and, and so he just retreated and retreated and retreated. He would find out what jobs that guy was bidding on and he wouldn't bid on them. You know, he just kind of, finally he's losing employees because he's losing business. He can't afford to keep them now. He got down and spent the last 20 years of his career all by himself. Why? Because he gave power over to one enemy. And that one enemy was all he could think about. And that enemy ended up destroying him without ever having to lift a finger. This is what's happening to Elijah. He has just had a huge victory, and he's allowing one person to destroy everything he'd worked his whole life for. Sometimes we can have the same thing. This is what Elijah eventually said to God. First thing is, he said he perceived life as failure. He goes to God, and he says in 1 Kings chapter 19, he says, uh, uh, it says, Elijah was afraid, ran for his life, And uh, he left his servant, he sat down under the tree, and he said, Lord, I have had enough, take my life, I am no better than my ancestors. Really? Really? You're no better than your ancestors? Elijah, which one of your ancestors called down fire from heaven to consume a burnt offering? You know? (laughs) Elijah, which one of your ancestors prayed for rain, and a storm came so badly, they had to move the chariots off the road, they were in danger of falling? Really? Really? But this is what happens. When you get one enemy or one negative thing attacking you, and all you can think about is that one negative, you totally lose sight of the positive. Totally lose sight of all the things God is doing in your life and focus against this one area of threat. When we work in fear, all of a sudden we start saying, God doesn't got this. When we move in faith, God's got this. When we move in fear, 
God doesn't got this. Those are the two choices that face Elijah. Second thing he says to Elijah is he begins to perceive that people as against him. What does he say? I am the only one left. I am the only one, God, who's still trying to work on this marriage. God, I'm the only one in my family who's trying to do the right thing. God, I'm the only one at my job who's trying to do this. God, I'm the only one in my church who cares about that stain over in the corner right there that I go every Saturday and clean up. God, I'm the only one. And then finally he says, he perceives God as uncaring. He says, I have been zealous for the Lord God Almighty in verse 19.10. What is he really saying? He says, God, I've been zealous for you. I've given my life for you. I sold my business for you. I wore camel hair and ate bugs for you. And this is where I end up, hungry, alone, afraid, on the run. God, I don't get it. All I've given up for you, and this is where I end up. I am concluding that you don't really care about me. You've used me like a pawn in a chess game, and now that my service is done, you're just kicking me to the curb. Sometimes we can feel that way. How many of you have ever had a moment like that? I'm a failure, nobody likes me, and God don't care. That's what Elijah said. God, I'm a failure, nobody likes me, and I don't think you really care anyway. Some heavy stuff. This is the Bible. This is Elijah. That's what Elijah says to God. Now I want to turn this to see what God says to Elijah. And I've got four points around this. Point number one. First of all, there are times in life when you should not make a decision. There are times in life where as emotional as you may be, as angry as you may feel, as righteous as you may feel, or as hurt or abused, abandoned and rejected as you may feel, don't make a decision. Amen. Amen. (laughs) What does Elijah say? Look down here. He says, I've had enough, Lord. Take my life. Elijah is suicidal. He's going to lay down under this tree. He's going to go to sleep. And what he's asking God to do is, while I go to sleep, just kill me. Just take me now. I don't want to live. And what would God say to Elijah? Don't make make that decision right now. You're hungry. You're tired. You're scared. You're alone. You're exhausted. Elijah, those are not the conditions in life where you should make a major decision. Rest. Give it a week or two, maybe a month or two. Get some distance from it. And then make a decision. But don't hang up your prophet hat yet. So what does God do? He says, get up and eat. God says, I'm not going to kill you. I'm not going to take your life. In fact, I'm going to feed you. In fact, I'm going to have an angel feed you. You're going to have the best cake you've ever had. You think cake on earth is good. Wait, you have cake from heaven. You know? You... And what does the Bible say? The strength of that food, it was like elvish bread. <laughs> Lord of the Rings. Anyway, uh, the strength of that food lasted him 40 days to get all the way down to Mount Horeb, where, uh, where, the, where the Israelites met with God. There are times in life where you should not make a decision. What times? You've been up all night worrying or fretting about something. Don't make a decision. You've just had a huge fight 
and you're angry, don't make a decision. Someone close to you has just passed away. Don't make a decision. An enemy is pressing against you at work or at home or in a hobby. Don't make a decision. A few years ago, I had, when I was a youth pastor, I had taken some kids on a mission trip. It was a two-week mission trip to Mexico. It was powerful. We saw a healing there. Like right in front of our eyes, a big, huge healing. And then I went to camp for 10 days, junior high and senior high camp. So for about 21 days, I was gone from the church. My job was at the church. I was a youth pastor. I worked there. I was employed there. I was gone. And when I came back, I was ready to tell all these amazing stories of what God did in these things. I kid you not, the day I get back, the morning I walk in, 10 minutes after I get to my desk, my executive director calls me in and starts reaming me because I had sponsored a kid to go on a mission trip there was $2,500, and I overpaid camp by $800. So $3,200 over budget, under budget, whatever, blew away the budget by $3,200. Now, this, is a, this was a big church. They brought in 5 to $6 million a year, and they're scolding me over $3,200. The number of kids that had a relationship with Christ, the healings we saw, the deliverances, I'm thinking to myself, take it out of my check I would do anything to see what had just happened over the last two weeks. I went out of there fuming. I was so mad. I went back to my desk, and I said some expletives in my mind, threw it out, and I went home, and I told my wife, you know what? If this is the way a church works, if this is the way Christians are, I don't want anything to do with it. You're not going to not be a Christian anymore. I'll still be a Christian, but I was just fuming, you know? So I'm typing, you know, I'm typing my resignation letter. And she's like, what, you, what are you going to do? You're going to quit? You know, what are you going to do for a job? I don't care what I do for a job. I'll be a drug dealer for all I care. I am not working at the church anymore, you know. And she's like, you know what? Why don't you just wait a week? God gives us wives because sometimes we get so angry the voice of the Lord can no longer come in. So now it has to come in via. <laughs> the person who knows us better than anybody. You know? That's the one thing. When you marry and take a wife and you become one in every way possible, they know you. And so I'm sitting back and I'm like, I, I'm not. I'm done, man. I, I, I'm done. She's like, you know, just wait a week. And of course, after that week went by, Things calmed down. I was like, you know what? There's nothing on earth that's perfect. And you know what? I was 3000 bucks over budget. I could have been a little better at that. Last time I've been over budget, but still, you know. It just, there are times in life not to make a decision. Number two, there are times in life where you should just stand still. Elijah finally gets to the mountain. It says, a great and powerful wind tore the mountains apart and shattered the rocks before the Lord. So Elijah's in this cave, and all of a sudden, it's like the second coming start, you know, the apocalypse. I mean, you know, a great and powerful wind tears the mountains apart. Can you imagine that kind of wind? Uh, but the Lord was not in the wind. After the wind, there was an earthquake. You know all about that, right? Earthquakes, shaking everything. After the earthquake came a fire. But the Lord was not in the fire. After the fire came a still, small voice. And when Elijah heard it, he pulled his cloak over. And he went out and stood 
at the mouth of the cave. There is a time in life where it's time to just stand and receive, right? Not stand and deliver. I like to stand and deliver to God especially. Sometimes there's a time to stand and listen, to stand and receive. There was a, but when I was 20, so this was 22 years ago, uh, I had become the worship leader for my church. And I remember I was so proud, you know, I was 20 years old, I was young, I had all these ideas, you know, I was going to bring in five electric guitars, and I was, you know, we were going to have some worship. And the first Sunday I walk in, I'm walking in, I got my songbook, I'm going to go lead from the piano, and the whole worship team quits. They're all about 20 years or so older than me, and they were not going to have some young whippersnapper come in and lead this team. So I'm walking, and I'm right, and they all quit. So I'm like freaking out. I go to my pastor and say, I walked out. I'm just going to lead worship. And now they all quit. What am I supposed to do? <laughs> and I thought, you know, we got to call these people. We got to, you know, I'll quit. I, I, I won't be the worship leader. If it's going to cause, you know, I'm out. I'm like trying to do everything. I'm freaking out. I remember the pastor just went, Tom, Tom, just calm down. Wait this out. They'll all be back. And I mean, I... I wouldn't have believed it if it hadn't happened to me. Over the next few Sundays, they'd all come back, apologized, you know, and we just waited it out. Sometimes there are times in life where you just stand. Number three, there are times in life when moving forward means going back to where you took the wrong turn. First Kings 19.5, the Lord said to Elijah, now remember, Elijah wanted to die, God said no, and he fed him. Elijah wanted to hear the roaring voice of the Lord. No, he speaks in the still small voice and says, just stand. The last thing in the world that Elijah wants to do is leave that mountain because that's where God is meeting with him face to face. What does God say, Elijah? I want you to go back. I want you to go back to your life. I want you to resume your life. And the call that I had for you. Elijah, I want you to go back to where you took the wrong turn. And get back on the right path. And he says, go back the way you came. Go back to the desert of Damascus. By the way, that was the road in which he took. The road that Elijah was on. He's going. He could turn south to go to Mount Horeb, where he's at. Or north to Damascus. Literally has a fork in the road. And God says, go back to where you had those two choices. And instead of coming down here to the mountain to meet with me, go north to Damascus. In this day and age, kings didn't just become kings. Prophets or, or religious spiritual leaders would often anoint someone to be king, and it would legitimize their kingship. And so God has a king he wants to put in place, and Elijah is a prophet. That is his job. And, and God's saying... Elijah, I need you to do your job. You're not going to die yet. I'm not killing you. And, you know, I need you to go back the way you came. I need a prophet to go and anoint this guy to be king. Will you do that, Elijah? Will you do that? One time I had a horrible set of circumstances hit me. Someone I loved left. I lost my job. lost my house. And uh, for a few days, I was homeless. 
waiting for the McDonald's to close so I could eat all the cheeseburgers they threw away. I mean, it was a rough time in my life. And I finally decided that I was not, I was going to leave Seattle and move back to Detroit where I came from. There's only one problem. My parents don't live in Detroit anymore. They live in Thailand. So I called Thailand. And they said, yeah, you know, come on over. And we'll, we'll, they flew me out. And I, I lived with them for almost a year. And I remember thinking to myself, I could live the rest of my life in Thailand. It was beautiful in many, many ways. But about six months into it, I had this nagging feeling. I wasn't where I was supposed to be. In fact, I remember when I sat down and told my dad, I don't think I'm supposed to be here. He's like, what? Beautiful beaches, beautiful weather, beautiful everything. The whole country's beautiful. Why would you want to leave this? Dad, because I'm not supposed to be here. I took a wrong turn. And I got to go back to where I took that wrong turn and resume where God had me. So I flew back to Seattle. Was still homeless for a day or two until a friend took me in. Found a job. But you know what? I think if I had never, never done that, I'd have never met my wife. I wouldn't have my kids. And I wouldn't be here with you fine-looking people today. Amen? Number four, there are times in life where we keep going despite our feelings. If I were Elijah, I'd have said, God, I don't know. I don't know if I'm going to go back and anoint anybody. Jezebel's still going to be on my tail. I don't know. You know what the best verse, one of the best verses in the Bible is? 1 Kings 19, 19. Very simply, so Elijah went. God said, go do it. And despite how he felt, he went and did it. He was able to set it aside, and he went and did it. Because sometimes in life, we keep going despite our feelings. And I have not learned that more this year than I have being there with my friend, Pastor Wayne. I, I, we have, Pastor Wayne and I, we have fun together. But over the last six months, it's not been a much fun. Almost three times, Wayne Gibson has died. Almost three times. He's been in and out of the hospital probably 10 to 12 times over the last six months. I've been with him in his home, at the hospital bed. I've seen him when he was grayer than gray. And I remember thinking to myself, Lord, is this it? I first met Wayne because he told me he was uh, sent to the Vietnam War. He wasn't drafted. I'll let you tell him that story later. Oh, he's kind of drafted, but he was sent to the Vietnam War. And what's interesting is the last time I spoke to him in the hospital, he said, you know, that war did kill me. Oh, it hasn't killed me yet. But all the chemicals, the Agent Orange, all that stuff that they had sprayed there, it got me too. And whether I have another 20 years left to live or another 20 days, I know that this will eventually take my life. I'm a casualty of this war. And, and the last time while Wayne was in the hospital, and I could just tell he wanted to die. He's like, I am so tired of this. I just want to go now. And we prayed together, and I felt like the Lord gave us both a word. And the word was this, Wayne, you have not preached your last sermon yet. Amen. And despite his feelings, just like Elijah, 
I feel alone, I feel like I failed, and I feel like you don't care. And when you're laying in a hospital bed, those can hit you. He got up from that bed, he came out to church this morning, and he is going to close our service this morning. And he is going to preach in about four weeks. I hope you can make it to hear that.